0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst, where we are returning to our normal scheduling of talking through uh, three topics that we found we believe will be of interest to you, our audience. Um, as we mull them over, I'm joined, as usual, by Andrew Sangster, the Editorial Director of Hotel Analyst, and I am Chris Bowen, the Editor at Hotel Analyst. And we're we're perhaps straying a little bit away from pure hotels for the next few minutes, first topic we're going to look at is the hybrid accommodation market Um, and in particular uh, uh, the the launch of a new concept called live-in which has been brought to the market by uh, Navneet Bali who used to head up uh, MyNinja itself a hybrid hotel hostel format uh, which continues to do very well and it does strike us that here we have uh, an idea that, perhaps whose, whose time has come. Um, it certainly feels like uh, here is potentially a new niche in the accommodation marketplace that feeds into some of the uh, other themes that are around in the uh, in the market. Certainly that around uh, uh, some sort of more vibrant uh, ground floor space, more involved, more community driven uh, atmosphere in the common areas. Of such properties, and uh, Bali's uh, managed to find a uh, a keen investor in Blantyre Capital, who are backing him in his first property, which he's found, which is uh, ironically a former manager property in uh, Frankfurt in Germany, uh, which will be converting to the live-in format. Um, now, what's what's interesting is that uh, uh, manager, meantime, continues to go from strength to strength. Bali's told us a lot more about. What he's going to be folding into his uh my Ninja plus uh format which uh he's called live in and that will include um hostel like rooms it'll include hotel like rooms and also uh, an opportunity to do some kind of extended stay offer as well um, and meanwhile in the kind of common areas he's looking to bring in restaurants cafes uh and, but also some co-working space too so ticking all of the kind of uh, on-trend boxes i guess it's fair to say um and we wish you very well indeed
1: we do chris yes is it mining or mining girl i know i don't know if I'm, i'll get muddled up actually my you, you know what probably I'd depends like
0: which think. end of germany you, you sit ah
1: ah okay yes yeah, so no. there you go Eve. As usual, you're far more (laughs) linguistically able than than me. Um, I think we should tell listeners that we are um, we're always multinational on this podcast because you sit in Wales, I sit in England. I'm in Cambridge and you're in um, Cardiff. But uh, um, today we're um, even more stretching it even
0: further. Yes,
1: yes. It's uh, because I'm I'm down in Mipim in the south of France. Um, Well, I'm actually staying in Nice because I'm too tight to afford the accommodation prices in Cam. Actually, during MIPIM, because even either, even, even though down. it's a uh, yes, <laughs> and you're even further down. Indeed, you're you're down in uh, Tenerife, which um,
0: although it claims to be Spanish, is actually you know off the African coast, so very near indeed. Morocco. So, yeah. indeed. indeed, yes. yes. So Here we are doing our bit to uh, improve the lot of the uh, travel sector.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think to the point that we're talking about hybrids now. I mean, there's obviously MIPIM is is much more focused on things other than hotels. Although there's a, you know, a decentish hotel presence here. I was sort of um, wandering around the the hotel uh, bit today. Um, mm-hmm. um, although people were saying it's a bit quieter than usual. I, th- I think. Um, they're claiming eighteen thousand here in Cannes but I suspect it's uh, um, probably uh, maybe half of that. But we'll, we'll who's to know for sure? Because um, I think some of the people who were registered previously have, have also been registered this um, time, and they they didn't actually um, show up this time. I know mm. a number of people I've been trying to get in touch with. have said, "Oh, I'm actually not not in France," <laughs> but anyway um by the by the thing um i think he's we're reflecting on is this hybrid piece um and Navni bali obviously was a, been a pioneer of it with the Meininger Meininger um um hostel hotel hybrid thing um fantastic idea we've been long been fans of that um Uh, I have experienced it, not actual mining itself, although I've stayed in one um, for the Munich Beer Festival, lucky me, um, Navaneet took me along, Um, but um, um, similar things in New Zealand and Australia where they've they've long had this, where they've had hostels with private rooms and what you get is that, you've referenced Chris, that community feel, in in, in in a sort of still hotel like the key bits of the hotel i.e having a private bathroom and private room um, experience um, and uh, and that really works when you're traveling um, so i was a couple of weeks or so in New Zealand and it's a really it great because you get to meet people and swap stories about where you've been and uh, where you hope to go and that kind of stuff um, and we're seeing the main you know hotel operators getting involved in that as well um, As you say in your piece, Chris, uh, obviously the Joe and Joe um, effort from um, um, Accor um, is probably the highest profile one. You've also got sort of uh, tapping into that market motto, um, Hilton's uh, brand. So I think this is definitely a comer in, in that. And we've we've have been flagging it up for a number of years now but uh, i think the broader piece here i'd like to comment on is what's happening in terms of this um silo breaking this blurring of uh the lines between the different uh verticals in what you might call the living sector so buildings with beds basically so one extreme you've got the the very regulated residential sector going up to these new areas of um whether it's hostels or uh, um, some elements of serviced accommodation um, and, and, you know, the, the two extremes um, in terms of yields actually there. So, um and we we're going to go on in a moment to talk about student accommodation but it's noticeable that student accommodation in terms of its yields are still higher than for at least hotels for example which is quite interesting um, but everybody wants to chase the residential yields if you're an existing investor with assets and looking to exit you, you want to, to to buy in um, at the high yields and uh, sell out at the super low yields to maximize your ma- maximize your return and uh, there's a number of people f- focused on that we've looked looked at uh, uh, some of these other uh, sectors, new entrants and these new sub-sectors that are chasing the, the keener yields. Uh, I, I know the Brookfield back, Eden, they're very keen to sort of highlight the fact that extended stay has very similar characteristics to uh, residential and in, in terms of its resilience um, and yet it is still yielding like, uh, like it's uh, um, a, a very um new um area in, in accommodation and and, and um and yields which aren't even as tight as leased hotels so they're very keen to 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 focus and push for, for that for understandable reasons so everybody's trying to to access this this sort of keen yields piece and i think you know the message that comes out from this hybridization is how Um, capital providers, whether it's uh, debt or equity, need to start thinking about how they structure their businesses, because that's still very siloed, and particularly in the lending community, uh, less so in private equity, as you might expect. But even there, you've got teams that tend to be sort of uh, um, student accommodation specialists, where I think increasingly we're seeing people who are now playing, and not just in student accommodation, but looking at opportunities um, elsewhere in, in, um, you know, adjacent sectors to uh, student accommodation um, and if you're in debt if you're in equity you need to think about how you can actually provide for those players like that who are often the innovators the ones who are going to be some of the best people to be backing
0: and let's turn to a student accommodation in a bit more detail and have a look at that sector because it seems to be uh, certainly a sector that's bounced back quickest from the uh, pandemic hiccup uh, and uh, students are back in uh, campuses, they're back studying person-to-person person because that's the way they like to do it. They really didn't enjoy their lectures on Zoom and that's great news for all those providing student accommodation. Uh, the market has got back, in terms of operational performance, to close to its pre-pandemic levels. Uh, they, and and the investors are, are continue to love the uh, fundamentals of the sector they like the fact that uh, you get very high occupancy you get a lot of return from your uh, your assets they also like the look of uh, what they see down the track which in most of uh, european uh, markets, they they still see a greater, far greater scope for more and more students to be coming to university over the coming years, and um, continuing to pay handsomely for staying in nice, comfortable student accommodation that's purpose-built, rather than in some uh, damp, grossy student dive that perhaps you I Andrew might have stayed in when we did our time <laughs> in the student world. Um, so, also because of all this sort of investor interest, there's also a lot of uh, sieving and and slicing and dicing of portfolios, as, as as certain businesses decide they want to head for the the cream of the crop, and others are much more happy to get into market by buying in, uh, a perhaps more of a mixed bag portfolio. Uh, so, some big money out there, some big big private equity players getting in and um, and shuffling uh, the packs and and also trying to pull together some substantial consolidation so they get uh, much more scale economies. It's a world which I still don't really profess to completely understand how or why it keeps on going up and up and up, but that's what it's doing.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, And, you know, to your point about big deals. I mean of course it had the biggest, uh, in 2020, it had the biggest ever private uh, sector real estate deal in the UK when Blackstone bought IQ off Goldman Sachs and Wellcome Trust uh, at £4.66 billion. So a a chunky deal Mm. indeed. Um, uh, One of the fascinating fascinating things I find about Looking at different sectors is is the parallels between them. So obviously, as a hotel specialist, I always like to look at uh, you know how you know where are the parallels with hotels and say and if you look at say student accommodation, student accommodation has done really well um, in accessing some bits of the capital market. So it's um, until recently it had three reits in the UK. I mean, one a, there was a take private GCP which you talk about in your piece, Chris um um and um, but I mean, certainly we 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 don't have any um dedicated hotel REITs in the UK at all so it's uh, I mean, partly this reflects the fact that hotel ownership in the UK is is very diverse uh, lots of smaller players there's few uh players big enough to to list and those that are big enough um don't want to frankly they're happier being private um but it's interesting that we've got this take private now in the sector. So Scape Living um, has has done the deal. Um, in actual fact, uh, IQ took on 40 percent of the assets of uh, GCP. Um, but Scape Living um, is founded by the same person that, that set up uh, GCP. Um, interestingly enough, Nigel Tay, I think it is T-A-E-E. Um, um, but what what you see in scape is a vertically integrated owner operator and brander of student accommodation um, again an interesting parallel that's going that way at the moment within student accommodation where of course we've had this separation within hotels uh, GCP used to be um, a pure resi invest um, a pure uh, real estate investment play um, with Scape as the manager of, of the business. It's um, interesting details um, in terms of the management fees. Scape was charging 4% of total income and one25 of net operating income to to run the PBSA um, for GCP. Um, but I think, you know, so we've got the management contracts piece in student accommodation, and this I've heard a few whispers in terms of franchising, um, which is in, uh, fascinating, um, and maybe in a few years, time as we get people like scape as they evolve into fully fledged branders of uh, student accommodation maybe we'll see that bricks and brains split that separation of the propco and the opco again um, and see dedicated brand companies um, that actually deliver a better uh, return on capital like the asset light hotel uh, brand companies um, so maybe we'll see a bit of that and then maybe also once we've we've got that of course um you know why couldn't we see hotel brand companies jump into the student accommodation game too i mean you know wouldn't you have liked to stay at a hilton chris yeah, um, when you're a university
0: yeah. well and interestingly um one or two of those who are active in the student accommodation market are already talking about diversifying their portfolios perhaps by getting into some. Uh, Pure rented resi, perhaps for those postgraduates. You know, if you've enjoyed staying in our apartment when you're a student, then how about we migrate you into uh, one of our uh, longer-term rental apartments for um, when you've graduated and get your first job in the. Uh, that big city um so
1: yeah well that that's the whole co-living mm. piece isn't it which actually unite one of the student reads they talked about in their investor presentation and they've got a site not far away from where you're usually speaking from chris in mm-hmm. bristol um so that they that that's a site i think it's got 62 um to rent units and uh, 431 beds um individual rooms in the in the, the student block so it's a mixed use scheme with that so and that they list uh, professional young professional renters as a as a as a growth area um, for them as they so they clearly they're looking at that as you say that BTR piece again it's a uh, back to the point about chasing those tighter yields i suspect they're they're looking at what btr is getting and saying you know i'll have some of that thanks
0: and of course much. mainland europe uh, the student hotel is uh, as a as a brand is is busily developing sites where they typically combine some student accommodation with some kind of service department living uh, alongside co-located um an interesting model um and
1: yeah well that is very much the hybrid mm. piece isn't it to our first thing we were talking about actually because it's part hotel past part, part uh, uh student accommodation and i think they've got some co-living as well i can't Remember actually, um, but I'll have to. But, but they've certainly got the hotel piece and the student piece. Um, although, interestingly, they, they say they have to be quite careful how they mix that up because uh, um, the, the keeping the student bit away from the hotel bit because um, <laughs> it gets a bit complicated otherwise. Oh, although, you mean? Yes, um, <laughs> savoury reasons, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so operational challenges coming in there. But it, it's certainly a, an interesting model, I think, um, and, and, and indeed attracting a good deal of capital as you know um you know, what we're seeing is in institutional money coming in here um and the, the Dutch AP, APG in particular the Dutch pension fund has been you know the big backers of these new concept whether it's stuff like Citizen M they've been big supporters of but they're they're coming in um you're seeing um obviously student hotel is is headquartered out of Amsterdam as well um so we're seeing they're, they're real pioneers in this hybrid piece I think the Dutch. So they're certainly certainly. Certainly, it is interesting um, how that is evolving, um, and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. I think because there's going to be some, you know, um, some quite significant uh, success stories coming out of this. So, um, um, with the serious money backing it now as well, it's. uh, uh, getting more and more interesting
0: now one of the publications that uh, we we love raking through on an annual basis when it pops out is the uh, hot stats uh, report on um, uh, the global hotel markets um, this year's profit matters report uh, probably sets a, a slightly different tone to normal because normally hot stats is pouring over marginal single-figure percentage gains and losses in markets, in occupancies, in repairs, but of course, the last year they've been um, uh, d- putting some substantially different plots on the graph to do with uh, well some sort of recovery, and then some sort of backward movement as Omicron appeared perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, the the whole the whole degree of the uh, of change in the last year has been substantially different, and of course, uh, we've all been watching uh, as. A whole new raft of complications came over the hill, in terms of labour shortages, cost inflation, and so on. Uh, just as you know, the sector is fighting to rediscover its uh, its customer base and get uh, get some revenue through the door. So, um, the HotStats report looks at uh, what's what's behind us, but also what's going to carry on pushing through this year to upset things Um, and you know what's one of the remarkable things that sort of comes through from this report is how strongly hotels have held on to their rates Um, ironically actually their probably rates look a little better than they they might well have otherwise been because of the lack of the return of those famous discount customers uh, conference and corporate bookers tours and groups and so on Um, but uh, the other big deal is, is how the occupancy has started to come back uh, and the Hotsat Sports g- runs around the world and, and points to different regions looking at the degree to which they've recovered during 2021 and the extent to which that recovery will continue and get back to some kind of new normal during 2022. Um, so there we go it's an interesting read. What takeaways did you get Andrew?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as you, you say, it's it's the the challenge it has is historic uh, reporting, um, which, um, as they say in investment circles, um, past performance is not <laughs> necessarily a guide to the future, and that, that's that that uh, is a problem. But um, I mean, the other cliche is. Um, course um history is uh, not about repeating but it's uh, but it at least rhymes and uh, i guess you're looking for the rhymes that are there within within that history piece that they're they're looking at i, I think um i mean because hot stats comes out at a, you know on a weekly basis uh, i think it's at least weekly there's probably even some daily reporting going on i think i don't know um But um, it's certainly more often than annual. It's just that the annual publication gives you a chance to sort of take stock of where we've been and uh, and so forth. I mean, uh, what I looked at, I thought what was intriguing. um, Well, well, not intriguing, but uh, just confirmation, really. uh, Like luxury hotels, they had a dreadful Q2 2020. They lost huge amounts of money. um, um, Whereas if you compare that to uh, um, Uh, limited service hotels, they they, lost a comparatively small amount of money during that very tough period. But briefly in Q3 2020, um, you see luxury hotels making um, quite a bit of dosh and then huge amounts again in Q2 uh, 2021, and particularly over the summer of 2021, where luxury Um, massively outperformed all other segments so you've got a much flatter line with limited service as you'd expect and you know guess what luxury hotels um, perform like luxury goods so they they're they're much worse in the downturns and much better in the good times now what this means for the future is um, I think It's confirmation of how these these segments are still behaving um and i think we're going to see that as we come out and it depends on what your view is on the macroeconomics now obviously with the whole ukraine invasion we've got a whole different take on that and the possible impact in terms of consumer spending and all that kind of stuff so um people might be a lot more pessimistic but if you're still relatively bullish i think luxury hotels are going to be the place to be it just depends on your your read of that i think which is uh, going to be critical, um, and um, you know, in terms, I think there are some moderately hopeful stories within this. In in terms of that, uh, historically, if you look beyond, obviously last year, but back to sort of the Gulf uh, Gulf Wars and so forth, um, the travel sector isn't dramatically hit by that. I think what we're going to see is. Uh, intercontinental travel suffering. I, I'm looking at some of the press re- reports in the US at the moment where they think, as usual, the entire of Europe is currently being <laughs> bombed. They think, you know, London's suffering the blitz. Um, so that's going to probably put off a few Americans coming across um, and indeed Asians as well. I think I think that's going to put, I mean, you know, if they ever come out of their COVID uh, <laughs> lockdowns, um, so that that's going to be a, a, a thing which will slow that down, but I think certainly within continents, I think the travel thing is going to be remarkably strong. Um, we've said this before, and it's worth reiterating. Um, and to the point that you know that, that came through in the Hot Stats report, actually travel um, is now very much seen as something which we want and need to do. Um, and uh, I also dug up some research from Expedia and uh, um, their Traveler Value Index. Um, they interviewed five and a half thousand people across a range of countries, from Mexico, US, Germany, UK, um, um, and what 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 they found was that uh, um, you know the received wisdom is that we're going to be travelling less. Um, that they actually said that what was trending in their research was. Uh, uh, um free, more frequent and quick trips was the thing people were looking for, so the complete opposite of what everybody was anticipating in terms as we come of become come out of this so in actual fact there's this is real, and they also found that that there was an even in, in, bigger desire for travel um, with consumers particularly as they've not been able to do so much of it for the last two years and they were prepared to spend more now than they were pre-COVID and they're prioritising travel um, as a way to spend their holiday time. Um, So this, this whole trend toward experiential away from stuff towards um doing things and having experiences is very much um i think to the strength of our sector and is, is, is going to come through and now
0: time for our weekly five-star no-star awards i think you're going to combine the two this week andrew
1: yeah so it's an interesting one so we, we wrote last week about ukraine we did quite a lengthy piece a very difficult piece to write and uh, um, i do encourage we i, I made it available um, on the LinkedIn and it's free to access. You can just go onto our website and uh, uh, look at it. I do encourage anybody who's listening that hasn't uh, read it to to have a read of it. But uh, um, it was picked up by a New York Post journalist. Um, she um, dropped me an email, sort of said you, know, you know, what's going on here? And her angle was very much and why aren't hotel companies coming out of Russia? Um, and I think the five star piece really is is about the responsibility and the attitude of hotel companies towards their staff, towards their guests, towards their owners, um, saying, um, you know, we, we've got to be careful here in what we're doing, um, and. And despite all of this, what we have seen is uh, a, a shift um, by the hotel companies to saying, look, we're not going to do development, we're not going to take on new business in Russia, but we've just got to be careful with what we do have. I think the no star comes. I think the problem is I, I just don't think hotel companies are reading um, the public mood very well at the moment. And uh, I think they should have made a louder and clearer signal that they were exiting the country, um, Russia, and that they were, um, gonna sort of come out and um, sever ties. And that you know, any ongoing commitments in Russia is purely about winding down what they've got that got there at the moment and and managing those existing relationships and so make it clear that this isn't a you know, they were staying there not to make money but staying there to um, ensure that there was a orderly exit rather than just abandoning their staff of guests and donors. owners um, and I think the communication piece wasn't too great there and it was interesting for example in the New York Post piece I referenced particularly Radisson because they're Chinese owned and I was just speculating whether Radisson being Chinese owned was going to be less likely to respond and Radisson reacted to that said look we're coming out just as much as all the other hotel companies are we're not going to be expanding anymore in russia um that you know this is a step too far for us as well um despite the um the the chinese ownership interestingly though i did ask that pr that contacted me i said is uh Um, this a Radisson hotel company statement or is this apply equally to Xinjiang and she was quite clear it was a Radisson (laughs) only uh, statement so um, make of that what you will but uh, um, yeah, yeah, difficult times for everybody for for that one but uh, I I think communication has been probably the no star piece but the commitment and the sense of community that hotels do have Um, and um, sense of responsibility I think is definitely a, a fire And on style. that
0: slightly complex note we'll leave you, plenty you to think about and say goodbye for now.